The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Today, we're speaking with Josh Pierce. He's the Richard Witt Professor of Materials, Science, and Engineering, Professor in the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Michigan Tech University, Director at Michigan Tech Open Sustainability Technology Lab, and the author of the book, Create, Share, and Save Money Using Open Source Projects. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, it was amazing to read your book. What a collection of cool ideas and resources and websites I don't think I ever would have found on my own. Uh, So the book is basically um, a really cool reference guide and kind of a how to do it yourself kind of thing about how to make some pretty cool uh, projects and things with 3D printers and stuff that um, I never would have thought that I could make on my own. So I I noticed in the book that you quoted the Old Testament. And so this is not a Bible book at all. Um, but I want to read it because it uh, it's a really cool kind of thing to think about. So it's Proverbs 1125. A person who gives to others will get richer. Whomever helps others will himself be helped. Can you tell us about the four benefits of sharing our own work? Yes, absolutely. And I think you got to the heart of the book is most of it covers all these amazing free resources. It's open source technologies of anything that you could possibly be interested in from art and music to more substantial things like houses and electronics or metalworking. But the and you could just, you know, use the web links from the book and download tons of things. There's millions of products that you could get for substantially less than buying them uh, commercially. But the real power Uh, from the open source way is when you start to share your own things. And we've known about it in the sciences for a little while now, where if you post a design for an open source scientific tool, even if it's not quite ready yet, other scientists that are having the same problem that you do will try to fix it and make it better. And if it's shared with an open source license, they're sort of obligated to reshare what they do to it. And I've had, you know, people work on my projects, hundreds of people from all over the world have benefited my lab because I took that initial step of sharing. And so what I was trying to do with Create, Share, and Save Money using open source projects was to bring that same sort of ethos to everybody. And, and the ethos is not new, as you pointed out. Like this goes back to the Old Testament. If you share your own designs or recipes or you know you, maybe your own book, the more you share, the more you're going to get back from building on your ideas. Yeah, it's a pretty cool concept, I think. And there's a there's a film in Canada about this DJ Girl Talk. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but uh, he is a DJ by night and he takes samples of famous songs and mashes them together. But there are a lot of copyright laws against that. And then he was a, a biochemist by day and he was running into the same copyright problems trying to find medication that would solve, you know, AIDS or cancer or whatever he was working on, you know, a drug company would own a patent or something and then they couldn't use it. And so it really slowed down the uh, the process of helping people be healthy, I think. Absolutely. Intellectual property, you know, as it originally was sort of developed early, early, you know, hundreds of years ago, I think it, it actually did speed up innovation. But at the rate that we're used to innovating now, 
locking ideas away for 20 years is just insane, especially when you're talking about medical related uh, things that would actually help people. And even more insane when we're talking about a pandemic where people are dying all the time and technologies are being slowed down because we have to wait for you know, license agreements to come into effect or patents to expire in order to be able to use the technologies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The the one thing that I kind of worried about at first with this kind of open sourcing stuff is how are people going to make money if they're not able to protect what they create, right? But I actually like after reading your book, I actually don't think this is a problem. And I actually think it would help more people make money rather than concentrating money into the hands of one person. Do you know what I mean? Like, because your book is offering so many ways for people to start making their own things to sell, right? it just could be better kind of for everyone, except for that one person who just wants to make millions and millions of dollars to kind of save for themselves, right? <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the innovation process itself is accelerated and you just have to change your business model. So many companies now, their business model is they have a good idea, they patent it, and then they sit on it for 20 years and they basically don't have any competition. If you mm-hmm. come into the idea where it's you actually want people to copy you because it makes your skills or what you've developed even more valuable, you can make quite a bit of money. And there's tons of good examples of this, but uh, like the Arduino uh, open source electronics prototyping platform is this open source little uh, mini microcontroller that makes it very easy to automate your own projects. And so that device is completely open source. It's very easy to build off of. And, you know, you don't have to be an electrical engineer to use it to be able to automate something. It, it makes it really accessible to normal people. And because it was so accessible and free and open source, thousands of people have done projects. And they've been, you know, from very, you know, fun things that you might do for Halloween. Like there was a, there's one I really like where it's like a flamethrowing pumpkin that, you know, senses children as they approach your house. And like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> to some like you know much more like we use them in the, in the lab all the time to automate scientific tools and so it's the same tool the same type of programming everything is the same um but because of that you know arduino sells thousands and thousands of these little electronic boards and there are knockoffs that you can buy less expensively but if you want something that you know works and especially if you want one of the new ones you're definitely going to get it from the company that has a huge um database of free designs that you can then build off of and then they also have a consulting business on the side too so anytime you're doing something really complicated you're going to go to the people that know what's going on and so they've they're successful business people they've got lots of money it's a successful product product but they're encouraging people to use it and share it and to make knockoffs rather than um, discouraging people and so it's just a change in mindset and i I think particularly with the large-scale distribution of distributed manufacturing tools. The idea that, you know, you can just sit and lock down a product in the future is becoming more and more, it's, it's just a silly way to do it, to have your business operate. Well, even Elon Musk uh, made a, a, an open source pledge, and you talked about that in your book a little bit too, right? Yeah, so he, he's a multi-billionaire that has spent millions of dollars on patents for electric car parts, components, systems, and he open-sourced them all. And when it came out, unfortunately, it was a blog post where there was like a grammar error in the title. (laughs) So no one was quite sure (laughs) if he was serious, but he was totally serious. And the reason is he was actually brilliant. I mean, Ford went and copied him (laughs) almost immediately because if let's say I start a a component manufacturer, I'm I'm a manufacturer of a component that goes into an electric car. Who am I going to build it for? Who am I going to start my business and base it off of? Well, I'm going to base it off of Tesla because it's all open source. I don't have to worry about getting sued. And I'm going to directly feed into his 
kind of core product. And so he's becoming or he's trying to make Tesla the platform the same way that the Arduino is a platform that we all kind of build and hack upon. And, you know, just making that pledge that we're not going to try to discourage small companies from kind of coming in and working with us makes it much, much easier to work with this company. Now, it would be nice if they started going full scale open source and releasing all of their things as it goes instead of patenting it and then um, releasing it afterwards. But we're, you know, we're in the, the beginning of where open source hardware really makes sense. And the the olden days when kind of open source software was very popular, where you'd have a program and you'd let anybody copy it and use it, that took off like wildfire. And now it basically runs the internet. I know I'm working on a, a completely open source system now. The vast majority of people use open source all the time, even if they don't know it, like if they use Amazon or Facebook, or even if they go to McDonald's, there's open source on the back end of everything. And in software, it was easy to see how you would share a program without having any cost. And now with hardware devices like 3D printers, we can share designs with having basically only the cost of materials and electricity. And so it's really pushed it to the, like it's become possible to talk about having a completely open-based innovation ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And uh, your book has a lot of information on 3D printers too. And what I really loved is they there was this, oh gosh, I don't know what to call it. It's like a, a machine that knits but you put in a computer pattern and so the the loom if you will kind of just knits the sweater to the specific specifications that you you want it to be and i thought that was pretty amazing and uh really could have some good implications for making clothing that is long lasting and in the environmental world you know we we talk about buying local a lot to decrease the uh travel emissions of you know sending cheap clothes over on barges that are just going to last for a few months and then be sent to landfill. So if, uh, if people kind of around the world could make those locally, like use that machine to make clothes locally, I think that that could kind of really help, uh, the environment as well. Um, so that was one machine that kind of really stuck out. Yeah. And the, the really neat thing about that machine, that's the open knit machine is that not only is, is it completely open source and you can build it and, and make your own clothes, but many of the components are able to be fabricated on other open source tools. <laughs> so you, you buy yourself a $150 3D printer, make most of the components to build your open knit machine, and then you have a, um, a clothing factory in your basement. Or, you know, it might not be that everybody wants one of these. And that's where I, I really like, that's where I think there's opportunity for small businesses to start up, to have machines available for people to use, and really like the kind of makerspace or fab lab um, ethic that's, you know, permeated the globe at this point where you just go down to your, your local fab lab and, you know, make something that you wanted to reserve some time on the tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. I like that one a lot. And I, I checked out the website from the reference in your book. So if you're interested in any of this stuff, if you're listening, the, the book is really, really good uh, for resources, for just being able to start with 3D printers and which ones you should get and all these different um, websites that you can check out and stuff. And again, it's called uh, Create, Share and Save Money Using Open Source Projects. And it's by uh, Josh Pierce, who we're speaking to now, which is pretty cool, uh, from Michigan. So there are other machines too that I want to ask you about with the 3D printers and sort of how to get into this, but let's kind of bring it back to the environment here. And uh, what is open sustainability? Yeah, so that that's kind of that that's my my research group really, right? Where we're trying to use open source methods to drive sustainability. So I I was kind of born and raised as an academic in solar energy. I, I made low cost photovoltaics and 
at the time, my, my use of open source tools was really just on the side. Like, you know, we had Linux servers and stuff, but that wasn't a, wasn't a big deal. Uh, but then when the light bulb really came on for me was with the RepRap project and how you could use it to make scientific tools that could then drive sustainable things. And now, um, basically, our whole lab runs that way, where we make the tools we use to do research and we make tools specifically to tackle environmental problems. And the maybe the best example of that is the RecycleBot. And it's a, a waste plastic extruder that converts, you know, your empty um, plastic containers, your yogurt cups, whatever, whatever you've got, water bottles into filament that you can then 3D print into whatever product you'd like. And it's a, we've done the life cycle uh, environmental analysis on it. It is superior to anything that you can do commercially because you're cutting out all the embodied energy of transportation. You're cutting out packaging. You're cutting out all like, you know, the energy to, to warehouse it. And like you're making materials from your own waste. Um, it could be in your own home or, or in like a makerspace or community center or library, but you're turning waste directly into high value products um, at potentially your own house. Yeah, that would be amazing because our recycling trucks, no offense to them, of course, because they're doing a great job, but also it's a source of a lot of roadside litter. <laughs> like um, <laughs> people, when they put their bins out, a lot of things are blowing away if they're light. And then when they dump them in the truck, they only have a certain time limit that they can spend at each driveway and then they have to go. Right. So, um, yeah, a lot of stuff kind of gets blown away and then there'd be diesel trucks. So if we could cut down on that stuff, it would be pretty amazing. So yeah, the recycle bot is really cool. So you made a pelletizer too, right? Right. So we, we kind of have the complete tool chain now. This would probably not be for people's basements, but certainly at a maker space where it's like a quasi industrial uh, plastic shredder. So the idea would be you'd uh, wash the plastic articles if they needed it, throw it in the shredder and it would grind it up into particles. And then you'd have kind of three choices you could do with it. One, you could throw it in a recycle bot that makes filament, which is just like a long string of plastic spaghetti that would then go into a normal 3D printer. Uh, we've been working with uh, fused pellet and fused particle printers where you then take the shredded plastic and then just dump it right into a hopper and start printing with it directly. And then there's a whole big bunch of open source um, injection molding type devices where if you already knew what you wanted to make and maybe you wanted to make you know 10 of them or 100 of them, instead of printing each one out individually, uh, you could start to injection mold at kind of the you know, cottage scale, not the industrial 10,000 units a second scale, but you know something where you're in the 100 to 1,000 range and printing it out would become tedious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw some rotor molds in, uh, I think it was South Carolina when I was younger for kayaks. So they were um, putting the plastic into these rotor molds. So it's in the shape of a kayak. You put the plastic in there while it's hot and then you spin it around really fast. Yep. And uh, that's how you make plastic kayaks. And I saw in your book, too, that you were talking about making plastic paddles. So that that could be something that you could make yeah. with. Uh... Yeah. So actually, we've definitely I've, I've used at my own house uh, a 3D printed uh, plastic kayak paddle that worked great. And, you know, we could we could change the surface properties by adjusting how the plastic was printed and which plastics we went in. So we could make a superior paddle to what you could buy commercially and you could customize it however you want, like make it a little bigger, a little smaller, change the shape. And that's really what kind of this distributed recycling and additive manufacturing uh, offers everyone is that, you know, there's not very many kayak paddles with, I don't know, people's favorite animals on them or your face. <laughs> like You can kind of do whatever you want. You can customize and personalize every single one of your products. 
Yeah, that's really, really cool. So, uh, so let's say I have some plastic yogurt containers and I want to, would I, would I have to pelletize them first or put them in the recycle bot first? Like what is the process to get it into, let's say a kayak paddle from. So you, yeah, you could do it two ways. So the, you'd start off with rinsing them out and drying them and then shredding them. And so they would have to be shredded before you could use it. And then you'd have the choice of, would you rather direct print it into in something like a Gigabot X, which is an open source th commercial 3D printer, kind of like an like mini industrial scale, or you could put it in the recycle box to make filament. And then you could use it then again, many larger scale 3D printers that take filament, which is the most common type of, of 3D printer on the market now. That's really cool. So for 3D printers, I don't have one, um, but for for me and for listeners, like let's say we want to get our kids a 3D printer or something, um, but like a good one, because I've seen ones at Toys R Us. I don't know. I think Toys R Us maybe went bankrupt in America, but it's still in Canada, I guess. <laughs> but I never really wanted one of those because it was like, mm, you can just make these like tiny little plastic figures, you know, I'd rather have something a little bit more useful. So do you have recommendations for people who are looking to get started into 3d printing yes so i i would so first off I, I would argue that you should try to purchase an open source one if you're kind of a seasoned maker and you're loose used to building things from scratch you could try to build a rep wrap from scratch or or buy a kit and so uh, prusa is a good example of an open source 3d printing company in europe that has it so you can buy their printers completely put together or you can buy the kit and the kit will save you several hundred dollars. And so if you're, you know, if you're used to tinkering and you like that, or you want to teach your kids how to do it, I would, I would recommend the kit, not just for the money savings, but for the actual experience of building it. Because if you build it, you will have a much, much better understanding of how it works. And so that, that type of a product, which would be, you know, you can make a lot of things with it. It's maybe a little bit closer to the size of a volleyball of build area you'll get for under a thousand dollars. You can go up uh, kind of like one level. If you're willing to jump up to like $2,500, then you can get yourself an open source industrial printer. And if, if you don't have uh, like something like a Lulzbot in the U S and if you don't have that kind of money and you're interested in a more affordable open source printer, uh, the Creality Ender 3, uh, you can buy for under $250 now. And it is an open source 3D printer. It uses the same open source software found in many of the other ones. And it's it's not a kit, it's like a quasi kit and that most of the components are already built and there's still a little bit of assembly. And in the assembly of it, you learn what the major components are and how they operate so that you, you know, you're you're not just pressing a button anymore. You you actually understand how the machine works. And understanding that getting that, you know hour of training on how it on uh, even if you're just doing it with youtube videos and looking at it yourself will make you a much better 3d printer user and designer so that you can start to make your own creations and just not download them off off the web mm -hmm. yeah and i saw that you can save yeah a ton of money if you do build it yourself rather than buying the the parts kind of put together yeah things have gotten so much easier so even if someone's looked into this a couple of years ago like say five years ago looking at printers today they're all much more reliable. Almost all of them have some sort of auto bed leveling, so you don't have to do it manually anymore. The The majority of printers, and certainly after you get above sort of the $250 range in printers, they're no longer toy, toys, they're production tools. And mm -hmm. there's many companies that have like banks of, you know, $800 Prusa 3D printers where they're just using them to make stuff, including Prusa itself. Many of the components in the 3D printer have been 3D printed themselves using their own 
product. And so it's, um, they have to make sure the quality is good <laughs> or else their, their products suffer. And so they're, they're very good about constantly iterating, constantly making a better tool for you. And so if you buy one today versus buy one last year, you'll, you'll see noticeable improvements. It's a continuous improvement because everyone that hacks on it, you know, including their users, including competitors are feeding back in to, to make it better. When I got started in 3D printing, the least expensive 3D printer on the market was $20,000. And a good one was over $120,000. And today wow. you can buy a $250 printer that could match that $20,000 printer. In fact, it can even beat it. There's, it's, and it's because of thousands of people all over the world working together to, to make better 3D printers. That's amazing. I, lo I love tech and how we keep going, right? Like in the environmental world, sometimes it's um, enticing to try and go back to a time like before oil and gas and stuff. And I prefer to just keep going with tech and getting better and better. And I think we'll solve all our waste problems and our environmental problems and stuff if we just keep going right and developing. And, and right. well, uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of room for open source development to kind of help fight some of our environmental battles. Like there are uh, a whole slew of open source electronic kits for doing um, some sort of environmental monitoring, whether it's uh, you know water quality testing or air quality testing or radiation testing, and so all of those things that again used to only be in labs of you know well-funded scientists, now you can make yourself, and um, you know you're off to the races. You can use a, a high-end scientific tool that you, you build for fifty dollars using a little bit of three D printing and, and some open source electronics. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, because in your book, there was a picture of a, a woman, a student, and she had created some, oh gosh, it's like a syringe or something. I'd have to look at the book again. Was it a syringe? Uh, well, I don't there, know. I think it's a piece of medical equipment. There, there's that too. <laughs> so um, that open source syringe is actually used for a huge number of things. It, it can be used for 3D printing itself for, for doing specific types of, you know, like, um, a paste-based extrusion, uh, but it can also be used as a fluid handling robot so that you can, you know, I don't know, say you're trying to cure cancer and you need a 96-well plate all filled up with the exact same solution of the exact same amount, you can put a, the open source syringe on, on that as well. Uh, and so that particular device that we developed in my lab has been downloaded thousands of times and saved the scientific community conservatively millions of dollars because they could make exactly what they wanted with the precision they wanted for far, far less um, than, than buying a commercial. That's awesome. So do you think that the future is going to just continue with open source? And uh, do you see anything being developed? So for example, we see that 3D printing has come so far and the price has gone down and everything is doing really well that way. Uh, do you see any leaps and bounds with uh, 3D printing coming up in the future? Sure. I, I, I think it's just going to keep going. So the, you know, the, the ethos, this kind of sharing open source development of the, of the 3D printers really came about because Adrian Boyer, who was a professor in Britain, open sourced the first RepRap. And, you know, at, at the time I was working on one of those $100,000 printers to make a solar powered laptop for the developing world. And, you know, I was really excited because I'd finally gotten access to one of these additive manufacturing machines, but it was so expensive. The plastic that we used for the case that was basically just solar panels or little solar cells stuck to the back of a laptop. The plastic to do that cost more than the electronics and the solar panels and almost as much as the computer. And it was like, this is never gonna work in the developing world. We need a better solution. And I, I saw the RepRap project and it was just getting started. And it was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is gonna be huge. 
because it's a device that makes itself and other products. So it's just like a value generator. And once you have one, you can make one for your friends and then they can generate value. And so we've seen an explosion of open hardware because of that. There are literally millions of designs from everything from toys to you know parts for your car that you can manufacture in plastic. And the, the real beauty is we have open source methods of making more advanced materials like metals and ceramics as well. And so uh, one of the examples in the, in the book we also developed in my lab was a $1,200 metal 3D printer. And so it can do steel and aluminum and the steel can go down to maybe say a millimeter resolution. So it's not super high resolution, but if you're making you know parts for your bicycle or a car, um, it doesn't have to be beautiful yet. And my group and many other groups are also working on the, the high resolution. So we are going to have more beautiful uh, versions, I would say, in the near future. And so, you know, all of those products that are, you currently can download and print in plastic in the not so distant future, you're going to be able to download and print them in metal. And, and at the same time, um, our group and many others have also been working on ceramic printing. And so some of it, it's done through like a syringe based printer where you print it and then fire it. Uh, what we've also been used uh, working with pre-ceramic polymers where you take uh, your plastic printer, print out the plastic, and then dip it in this pre-ceramic polymer, and it kind of soaks it up like a sponge. Stick that in the furnace, and then it converts the whole thing into a ceramic. And so that cool. opens up everything you could imagine, like uh, you know, high-temperature things to go into space to be used for rockets, to medical applications, like um, you get in a car accident and you need a, a jaw implant. That is very realistically done with a $250 printer now <laughs> and, a, and a kiln. So... These kind of things, I think, will push the cost of everything down, and it's going to push the innovation rate much higher, uh, where everyone can sort of build off the last person's best work, and we'll just get better and better stuff for less and less money. I'm I'm extremely bullish on this. Like looking at the scientific literature on it, a few years ago there were only a couple open source scientific tools, and now there's hundreds, and they're coming out at the rate of hundreds a year of better and better and more advanced tools. And that's just within science, all of which will push the cost of doing science down and make it more accessible to more people. So if you're interested in doing backyard science or citizen science, that's totally available now, I would say for like the average North American. And we're pushing the cost down to get to, you know, the the average African, for example. Yeah, because uh, we talk about in Africa, there's a, like a gap, right? Like we want them to go right to clean energy if they're not even using coal plants and stuff like that, right? So um, I think that happens with tech as well, that maybe they can skip some of the stages that we've had to go through that create a lot of garbage or something as you're developing computers, you're developing products, right? To get to like a really efficient product, um, if that makes sense. So that's kind of neat. No, absolutely. And, and there's a lot of, I think there's a huge amount of leapfrogging available after you're sort of plugged in. So most of the world now has access to internet. And, you know, there's still a lot of people without electricity, but they have a, at least some access to electricity. It's not like they don't have, they not, might not be on the grid, but they have some access, whether it's purchasing batteries or being able to plug in and, and charge something up. And the cost of solar has come down so much now that more or less everywhere, it's the least expensive form of generating electricity. And so when you start coupling these technologies together, one of the early students in my lab was is now a professor in Zimbabwe. He made the first solar powered Delta style rep wrap. And his idea was you, you take a duffel bag with a 3D printer in it and open it up, pull out a couple solar panels. And now you've got a manufacturing plant anywhere in the world that you want. And if you have a USB stick with a couple thousand designs on it, you can make a huge range of you know medical products, products for industry, products just to sell to people like average consumers. 
in the middle of nowhere. So anywhere that you could get that, that duffel bag, you could start manufacturing. Several years later, we did an open source solar powered recycle bot. And once you've got those two technologies, um, coupled with sort of our universal access to waste plastic, <laughs> we can uh, start, start manufacturing real valuable uh, products anywhere. So the solar panels are enough to power the, the printers? Oh, for sure. All the systems that we've designed have had some small battery backup systems just to like even out the, the power because you wouldn't want your printer you know dying when a cloud goes over over top of the sun. Like they basically use the same amount of power as a laptop. It, it's very low. Yeah, well, this would be a good idea, I think, for the Amazon jungle because uh, I'm so worried about all the, the plastic garbage that's going into that river. I love it down there, but uh, they've got a, a really big plastic waste problem and a, a poverty problem, unfortunately, as well. So it seems like this could maybe be a good kind of enterprise uh, for people down there that want to clean up that um, shoreline plastic, but then, you know, make something that they can uh, they can start a business with, right, by selling different parts or, or things that people need. Yeah, it would, it would be products that the, the local people were interested in or needed. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, yep. Yeah. We don't have to figure out the, do the market research here and do the designs here. They can be done everywhere, really, anywhere where, where people have access to the tools. And localized, which is really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Josh, this has been really cool. So thank you for coming on the show and talking all about open sustainability and 3D printing. And uh, I think that the future is really bright and exciting. So thanks for reminding us about that. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm very optimistic about kind of our chances on, on all the fronts, on the environmental front, the technologies to solve the problems are, are there and they're still advancing, but the costs have come down so low that I think they'll, they'll move in the right direction and this this idea that you know part of the reason we have a plastic pollution problem is we don't have the economic incentives set up for people not to ever think about wasting plastic but when you start seeing it as a resource that you can turn it into valuable products at home there's no reason you would ever you know throw a plastic container out the window um, you're going to try to collect them and then use them for yourself and if everybody has access to those tools and access to plans to, to make things better for themselves, I think we're, we're headed towards maybe not a utopia, but certainly a slightly better version of what we've got right now. Awesome. Yeah, it's very, very exciting, I think. Um, well, thank you. That was Josh Pierce from the Michigan Tech University. Uh, he wrote a book called Create, Share and Save Money Using Open Source Projects. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.